So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. You're going to love today's host because her category is adventure. And I added adventure because every time that I was single, adventure was injected and prescribed and it really helped me pull myself out of the trenches. Sarah Williams is a professional photographer, adventurer, and guide. And she believes that our connection to nature is vital and sets out to inspire others to discover and strengthen that relationship. She pushes the boundaries of her body and mind in the pursuit of unique life experiences. Get this, she was marooned for six days in an underground cave with no food or light with the challenge of navigating out. She also spent four months walking the length of New Zealand. Four months walking (laughs) with just a, a few handful of supplies in a backpack. And she's also an alpinist who summited the tallest mountain in North America, unguided Denali. Sarah aims to empower the rising generation through example and documentation to cultivate internal strength, creativity, and a love of the unknown in order to explore and ultimately protect the world we live in. She is going to be hosting from wherever she's at. So this episode may be from uh, the top of a mountain, or she may be submerged in ice, or she may be, I don't know, walking across the desert or something. Um, which I think is awesome and makes her inter- uh, her episodes really interesting. Anyway, enjoy Sarah Williams. The sea's only gifts are harsh blows and occasionally the chance to feel strong. Now, I don't know much about the sea, but I do know that's the way that it is here. And I also know how important it is in life, not necessarily to be strong, but to feel strong. To measure yourself at least once. To find yourself in the most ancient of human conditions. Facing the blind, deaf stone alone. With nothing to help you but your hands and your own head. This is a quote from Christopher McCandless, an American adventurer depicted in the book by John Krakauer, Into the Wild, and later on screen by Sean Penn under the same title. My name is Sarah Williams, and I'm a 32-year-old photographer. And right now, I am in Yosemite National Park in the backcountry. I spent the greater part of today with two friends climbing the southwest face of Half Dome on a route called Snake Dyke. And we were planning on going all the way out of the wilderness to the cars tonight, but one member of my party knew another group that was up here and we ended up deciding to stay another night under the stars. And I have no problems with that, except for thinking we were gonna go all the way out of the wilderness. I slammed a five hour energy and a handful of caffeinated shop blocks. And so here I am coming to you live from my sleeping bag. And 
I have some energy and I figured what better time than now to share how the last several years of my life, my ethos has been to say yes to incredible life experiences or not even incredible seemingly at first, but just unique life experiences, things that will push me mentally and physically that have ultimately led me to a greater sense of myself, which has allowed me to connect to the greater whole of life. So the way that this is going to work is I'm going to talk about a specific experience that I've had, what I did to prepare for it, what the experience was like, and the different lessons that I've extrapolated that I would have never have been able to had I not had the experience and seen where it has led. But for now, I want to start with a story that takes place in the summer of 2017, a few hundred feet beneath the Missouri soil in a pitch black cave. But actually, before we dive too deep, I just want to mention that I did not grow up super outdoorsy or even in great physical shape. I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I mean, I liked the outdoors as much as the next person, but mostly I kept inside with the AC blasting. Even some of my PE classes were inside watching movies about sports. But there were seeds planted in my youth, of course. Uh, my mom took me to Yosemite and we went camping a lot. And my dad always took me to Red Rock just outside of Vegas. And I always saw in him how that was his therapy. And even though I couldn't quite understand the complex emotions that he was experiencing, I just always saw that as an example and almost put it in my back pocket, if you will. But my personal discovery and passion for the natural world really only began in 2012 when I took to local Los Angeles trails just to get in shape overall because I was too nervous to go to a regular gym. I found a healing in exercising in nature alone. And I thought back to all those times where I would see my dad light up at Red Rock as I started to experience it for myself. So I started out super easy with just very simple hikes and the hikes got longer and eventually I took them overnight. And my first overnight backpacking trip actually ended in search and rescue. Um, that's a whole different story. <laughs> I was a super novice and I went with people who I thought were experienced and I completely laid, every, laid it all out on the line, letting them know that I didn't have the gear, I didn't have the knowledge and I was completely tagging along. And they took me under their wing and long story short, they didn't have it. They didn't know what they were doing even though they advertised themselves as such. And I stood at the top of a peak in the forest trying to get cell phone signal to get search and rescue to help with my friend who was slipping into shock. It was really embarrassing because I didn't really know how to help him or the situation or, you know, whenever anything goes wrong in the wilderness, it's never one thing. It's always a series of things. And I know that I could have done a lot better. And so, yeah, I was just super embarrassed. Instead of running away from it, I kind of ran towards it because there was something really beautiful that I enjoyed about being out there. We got a late start on day one, so it was close to midnight and we're hiking and I'm wide awake. You know, I, I can feel my heart pounding and I can just look up to the sky and see the moon and I just loved it. There's a sense of freedom, a sense of, I don't know, being wild that I just instantly clicked with and fell in love with. 
And I think because I had that moment, that's what I was holding on to. And so I did everything that I could to learn about first aid for wilderness survival, for leadership in a group, and took classes, read books, watched YouTube videos of the wazoo. And I went on one more backpacking trip with someone who genuinely was experienced and incredible and so generous to share his knowledge. And my third backpacking trip, I actually decided to solo hike the John Muir Trail. It's a 220 mile trail in California that runs from Yosemite to the top of Mount Whitney. And I was able to raise money in the process. And it was just such a powerful experience for me. And even then, it was on that trip that I decided to merge my passion of photography with the healing powers of nature and adventure. And it just completely set me on my path. So having that experience is ultimately what led me to this cave story that I'm about to tell you. So it really left me in a soaring high and just wondering what else I could do to push myself. It kind of ignited this insatiable desire to keep testing myself, to keep proving myself. And honestly, it was born in insecurity and it was born in fear but it's one of the traits that I am most grateful for within myself today because I still have it. So cue a random Tuesday afternoon in 2017 and I get a Facebook notification from an acquaintance who honestly, I don't even like that much. I'm like, hmm, I wonder why this person is tagging me. And it was a tag in a post from a casting director who was looking for women aged 30 to 50 for some kind of wilderness reality TV show on some major network. I completely scoffed it off, mostly because I wasn't even 30 yet and it called for survivalists. And I did not, do not think that I am a hardcore survivalist by any means. So I didn't even really pay attention to it. But long story short, the casting director saw my profile, reached out to me, asked me to apply, and led with no information, just that it would be a situation that would be about a week long, and it would involve the darkness in some capacity. But again, every step of the way, I kept downplaying it. I kept saying no to it in a way. I told myself, this is for a TV show. I'm not a dramatic person. I'm not even that beautiful in my own eyes. And I doubted every step of the journey, almost turning around and saying no at every point. But there was this overwhelming thought of, this is exactly what I asked for. And there was like an internal voice that was saying, don't be the one to say no. Just keep applying. If you get eliminated in the process, then that's fine. Just don't be the one to say no. Let somebody else say no. And just keep showing up as you are. And so after several synchronicities, medical evaluations, anxious nights, pep talks, and a lot of blind preparation... I stood outside the Cameron Cave in Hannibal, Missouri, with a camera in my face and a producer asking me questions that, honestly, I can't even remember now. They honed in a lot on my first backpacking experience about not being prepared and having to get helicoptered out of the forest. We were sort of treating this almost like a redemption. Like, do I have what it takes now in, a, in this survival situation to, to get through it? Honestly, all I could, I had tunnel vision. All I could think about was just this impeding imposter syndrome. Before I had been dropped off for that interview, I was in the car with the PA who picked me up from the airport. 
And bless his heart, he was young, and I think it was his first job, and he was certainly telling me things that probably would have gotten him fired. Um, but he was mentioning how, you know, on a previous episode, there was a Marine who fell 30 feet and had a mental breakdown because all of this is happening in true darkness. No light, nothing. You can't see your hand in front of your face. At this point, I still don't even know what I'm doing. I know it's going to involve a cave and darkness. I don't know if I'm going to have to perform challenges. I don't know if I'm going to have other people. I'm so blind here, metaphorically and soon enough, physically as well. But I did not feel confident, even in the slightest. So it came time to start this experiment, as they kept calling it. They handed me a backpack, and in the backpack they had some simple paracord, I had elbow pads, knee pads, and it was revealed that I would be underground marooned in this maze cave, as they called it, and I would have six days to find my way out of the cave. But the catch behind all of this, in the title of the show is called Darkness, and so you have to do it without your vision completely. This is the hardest part, I think, to get across, that it was completely pitch black. No night vision on my end, no hidden flashlight, no in two days you get a flashlight, nothing. The only time I saw light for six days is when static electricity built up and there was a pop and I would get like a very quick jolt of light. And also, there was no food. And I was told that there would be caches of food perhaps hidden in the cave that I could potentially find. And so the whole thing here is that I might find other people down there. I might find caches of food, but the overall objective is to find my way out. And I had six days to do it. And if I didn't do it within six days, then I would be extracted. And the show and the game would be over. The cave itself was set up with infrared technology. And so I was wearing a helmet that had a strip, an infrared light strip that would shine on my face so that the cameras would be able to pick it up and to view me, but I couldn't see it. It was invisible to my eyes. My helmet had a camera on it so you could see what I saw, and I was also wearing a chest-mounted GoPro pointed at my face so you could see me the whole time, and there was also stationary cameras set up throughout the cave. So <laughs> they walked me into the cave blindfolded on the, on the backpack of a producer, and they spun me around a lot, removed the blindfolds, and I could hear a bunch of people, but I couldn't see anyone. And they slowly started to back away. They essentially told me that I was in a cave room, for lack of a better term, which is a larger opening within a cave that have, has entrances and exits. And to walk the perimeter, get comfortable with it, and to just wait here. So do not start until they, I heard from them again. So whether that would be a producer coming in to say something or I had a little radio, I wasn't sure how the communication would happen and when. And so I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. So I'll just hang out here by myself alone in the darkness. And they must be setting the other people up in the various parts of the cave and they'll probably all tell us to go at the same time. So uh, this is the moment. It was here and I was completely alone and can't see anything. I truly don't even understand how big the room I'm in is. And so I use my voice to project, to try to understand the space that I'm in. And I'm really just trying to just be, you know, the, the interesting thing about the darkness is that 
if you can't see anything, you kind of can create whatever you want. And so I kept a very positive attitude and not like toxic positivity or anything like that, but just generally like, wow, okay, I'm here. I could be on the beach in Los Angeles right now, but I'm in a cave, pitch black, alone. And so I um, started to, I don't know, play around. I was wearing a helmet, so I was practicing headstands. I was doing squats. I was practicing my whistling. I was trying to strike this balance of keeping myself warm because it was about 50 degrees in the cave and I was only wearing a small like sun shirt, long sleeve sun shirt. And I didn't want to exert too much energy because I didn't know when food would come. And so I wanted to keep myself warm, but I also wanted to like conserve my energy. And there was this very natural slowing of my body that I felt being without light being in the cold, my body certainly went into this con conservation mode that was really interesting to witness. And so time was just going by and felt like a lot of time had passed. And um, I think because I was been so excited the night before, I didn't really get much sleep. So I was kind of tired. And so I tried to figure out what it would be like to sleep. And the ground is just cold. It, it steals your body heat completely. And so I had elbow pads and knee pads, and I tried to sleep on my side by balancing my body weight on the elbow pads and knee pads. So any points of contact I would have with the ground, I would just sneak one of those underneath and then wrap my torso up in that tiny little wool blanket. And I went to sleep. I have no idea for how long, because that's another crazy thing. When you have no gauge, no watch, you have no phone, you have no sky to tell you what time it is. And when you sleep, you have no idea if it's been 20 minutes or two hours. And it's not like it's extremely comfortable. So you can't really gauge by how rested you are. And so I very quickly fell into this trance-like state, I would say. And fast forward to when I got to see the episode, my time in that isolation before I started the challenge was two freaking days I was alone in that space. And thinking back to how the show was produced, I think it was just because they were trying to break us. They were trying to get us to a point of feeling crazy before the challenge even started to, you know, make it more interesting, I think, from a viewership standpoint. And another thing I was thinking about as I was slipping into that trance-like state was something that my dad said to me before I left into the cave. He said... Don't be a victim, be a force. Those were words that I carried with me the entire time. Any moment in the cave where I felt like this was a lot or too much, I completely got out of any kind of victim mentality I could potentially be in and just thought about being the light in the dark. And now, even as I talk about it, it was really important for my dad to say to me, because at the time I didn't know this, but he had stage four cancer and this was one of the last experiences and it's funny now because it was one of the first experiences I, I consider in my transformation that I was able to share with him so jump back how the frick do you <laughs> prepare for something like this well the only thing that I knew about this survival experiment was that it would involve the dark growing up 
I was terrified of the dark. I had recurring nightmares about being murdered and serial killers and all of that for years and years. And I actually slept with the light on until I was in college where I essentially forced myself to not know between my friend if I sleep with the light on and I'm a grown adult. So I had my past, you know, with, with fear of the dark and insomnia and many, many, many sleepless nights because of it. And thinking about how do you get ready for it? There is something called a sensory deprivation tank that I had been hearing about in the peripheries of my friend groups. And I decided to check it out. And I think they're less fringe now, but the idea behind a sensory deprivation tank, and I don't even know if they call them that anymore, a float tank, is that it's, it's quite literally a tank that has about one to two feet of water that's been infused with just massive amounts of salt. So that way, when you lay down in it, you float. And the water is heated to the temperature of your body. And it's usually in a confined space, which can be triggering for a lot of folks. Um, I think now they have some that have really beautiful lights and nice music, but you can opt to have neither of those things to really focus on your internal world. And so the idea is that it feels like you are weightless, that you're completely floating and you have no real feeling in terms of the water's not too cold and it, it holds you and it's completely dark and you can't see anything. And so I did this several times before I left for this experience and it was pretty incredible. I would do two hour sessions once a week for about a month and a half leading up and each one was completely different. And I really enjoyed how it just took a little while to settle. And I'm glad that I did the two hours because I think anything shorter than that, I don't think I would have gotten the, the right effects. But I was actually listening to a podcast before I did all this about this man who had summited Everest and had kayaked the length of the Grand Canyon on the Colorado, completely blind. And one thing he talked about was how the brain creates a new way of seeing. And it's easy to hear those words as I heard those words. But there was one session that I had, and it was my last session before I left to go to the cave in the tank, where I believe I truly started to hallucinate. And it was very simple, but there was a door that led into the tank and I could see a light coming from behind the door. And this wasn't real. That actually wasn't there, but my brain created it there. And next thing I knew, I had a vision or a hallucination that I was what I imagined like in the back of a pickup truck laying down, going through a tunnel, looking at the lights pass above me. And it was so vivid and so real. And I could look around in this vision and I would look back to something and it wouldn't change. It's very much so as if you were sitting in front of a tree and you look all around and the tree is still there. And it was just an interesting experience that I just put in my pocket and I was like, okay, okay, interesting. And really what was unique is just that my knowing of the walls around me and the float tank sort of disappeared. And it just really felt like my consciousness was expanding beyond it. And I was able to see the light behind the door, even though it truly wasn't there. And so fast forward to these last moments of the quote-unquote isolation in the cave before the actual experiment began, I was thinking about that and how the moment this light left my life and I entered into the cave, it truly felt like I was a hermit crab 
expanding into a larger shell. And it was like the cave and the hallways of the cave were my new limbs. And by navigating, you know, the passageways of the cave, it weirdly and truly felt like I was navigating the passages of my own mind. So this is a moment where I did hear a voice kind of call out to me. They said, isolation period is now over. You know your objective. You may find caches of food. You might find other people. And you have to find your way out. Your movements are your responsibility. And that was it. It was time to move. Navigating in a cave that you can't see is a fool's errand. It is just borderline impossible. You meet anybody in the caving community, they tell you the moment your light is out, you're dead. And that was my starting point. And, you know, I had a few tools and I thought I'm so good with, you know, remembering, you know, my bodily movements. I can figure this out. And so I started to experiment. I would find some kind of handhold or a position of the rock that was jetting out and I would tie a piece of paracord to it and I would almost use that like a tether. And so I would connect myself to a piece of the wall and I used that as my starting point, almost like I was fishing, but I was using myself as the bait. And so I'd go and come back, go and come back. But ultimately I had a really hard time with that because whatever I would tie onto, it would come off. And with that happening enough times, you know, I couldn't find my way back to where I had even started. And so I decided to pick a point and just very slowly go and come back, go and come back, muscle memory. And so I'd go down a passage until there would be a different way to go. I can go left or I can go right. And so I'd retrace my steps backward and then come back all the way forward and do it again. And except this time, maybe I'd go right and then in that right, I'd find another right, and then I'd come all the way back. And so this process of going over and over and over again was actually seemingly working into navigating and understanding the cave. And at one point, when I was at my furthest, I heard in the distance some kind of whooping noise, like whoop, whoop. And I realized that that was somebody else in the cave. And so I shout, I saw my lungs and, you know, my voice carries far. I started talking to this other person and we were able to navigate to each other through like a series of tunnel crawls and who knows what, I can't even remember at this point, but I came to the presence of this person and he just introduces himself and he's like, Hey, I'm Trey. and I'm a caver and forgive my terrible accent, but it was this loud like full chested voice that was coming from high so I knew he was a tall man and he said he was a caver and I had two reactions simultaneously in this moment where I was like oh my gosh you are literally the exact person who I'd want to ever find in a cave and also um I had this weird sinking feeling of oh man he's an expert and I'm gonna fall into this role of inexperienced youth that is slightly triggering to me for many reasons. And I tried to just soften that response that I had and just dive into this fact that I am now in a survival situation with somebody who has scientific knowledge and firsthand experience of how caves are formed. And so 
they would have a pretty good understanding of how to find your way out. Meeting this person in complete darkness, honestly, one of the coolest experiences of my life. Because how often do we get to spend time with someone without seeing them first? And it's different, you know, you can meet people online, you can get catfish, whatever, yada, yada. But to stand two feet away from a human and to not see them, but to feel them, to hear how they breathe, to understand slowly, like, how do they make decisions and, and what scares them and, and how do they work with me, a stranger? And it was honestly quite remarkable in such a unique way to meet somebody. And as we started to problem solve and figure our way out, Trey never acted upon ego, even though he is so super knowledgeable and could very easily have just completely taken over the team. He was extremely open to me and to my opinions and what I thought that we should do. And he weighed them as much as he weighed his own. And so there was this immediate sense of camaraderie and we both came to this new partnership with we're gonna give this partnership everything we got so we have to make it work in order to get out of here and approaching that dynamic from that place was just absolutely incredible and it makes me think now about all these different ships that we have with people and I say ships just like friendships relationships whatever and how if we in our everyday life truly just approached one another with like the absolute best intentions at heart and no judgments one way or the other of who this person is, where they've been. It's just what's important is where are you going and how can I help? And that's something that I still think about to this day. And in this particular scenario, we have absolutely everything stripped away from us. And so all we have is ourselves and at this point each other. And so we are the most raw versions of who we are. And so we're just two souls wandering around in complete and utter darkness. And I think about that. That's all any of us are really doing in this world. And so Trey held up his end of the bargain. He understood how caves work and cave veins and understanding airflow in caves. And so we really started to pay attention to the airflow. And if you could feel it strong, that meant that you were pretty close to an exit. I mean, the next couple of quote, days are just an absolute and total blur. I remember at one point we were chimneying up a section. And for those of you who don't know what that means, you are essentially climbing two walls that are very close to each other. That way, if you extend both legs almost like in a splits like position and you extend your arms like you're holding onto each wall with each side of your body and you're shimmying up. And doing that, you know, Trey was ahead of me and he started to get a little nervous, a little perturbed about falling. And he had told me that before he entered the cave, he actually had just stopped smoking. And, you know, okay, cool. But for him, it was a really, really big deal. He told me that he had been a chain smoker since he was in his mid-teens. And I believe he was in his you know, 40s at this point. And so he was experiencing withdrawals, which added to a whole nother element of this experience. And there was that one point where he lost it a little bit and he started shouting, uh, whoever was listening, the producer saying, you're trying to kill us for your ratings. 
think I had mentioned to him what the PA told me about, you know, somebody on a previous experience falling pretty far and, and having a mental breakdown. And so I think having that in his mind and I just kind of remained stoic. I let him experience that because of course that's crazy. And yeah, they probably are trying to kill us for the ratings because we signed away our lives and that makes for great TV, but none of that was going to help. I let him do his thing. And then at a certain point, he kind of let me do mine. There was at one point where we were trying to get some rest and an item that he had had with him was a black trash bag. And so he had suggested that him and I essentially get physically close and we drape the trash bag around our bodies to be able to keep warm. And honestly, zero desire. I did not want to do that at all. It's literally the last thing that I wanted to do. I am somewhat standoffish physically and um, especially to a stranger. And so I was just like, fuck no, absolutely no way. But, you know, here we are. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And then I think I even told him, I was like, if you try anything, I'm going to stab you in the throat. And I meant it. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, okay, okay. And it's funny now because um, there's a, an article at Esquire magazine about this whole thing. And that's the one quote that they used to describe who I am. And I thought that was hilarious. And as the days go on, you know, we have no idea how our progress is. We have no idea if we're getting closer, if we're just going in circles, if we're going further into the cave. There's no way to track progress. There's no way to track time. You just like fall into this super weird state of not knowing, of uncertainty. Not, And you just have to truly dig deep and untrust and, and listen to your intuition on on if you're doing the right thing and, and hoping that it's the best. And also, you know, battling this idea that at any moment, anything can happen. And, you know, who knows? Like, there's no way that the production team scoured this entire cave system. There's definitely a deranged person down here or a demon or a centipede that's a mile long is going to crawl across your face. You know, there's just any number of things like, you know, there's a lot to worry about. There's a lot to think about. And in these moments, one of those things that I was kind of just trying to do to be okay was to just be super present and let every single moment be its moment. And if there wasn't a mile long centipede crawling across my face, then amazing. There wasn't. And I did not have to think about it. And so there was this really beautiful lesson there about only worrying about things when, when you need to and trusting that you have the skill set to handle whatever it is when it happens. So in the midst of our travels, there's a whole lot of other things that happened. And if you speak Portuguese, it's on YouTube. You can check it out. But when it came time, we are close to the end. You know, we were both really, really, really tired and I was getting pretty faint and pretty close to passing out anytime I would stand up or move too long. You know, I'm extremely dehydrated. I'm, and I'm not as hungry as I thought I would be. That was one surprising thing, um, not having food for that duration. Um, but the focus of my eyes certainly was way off. And I saw a light in the distance and I thought, oh man, like there's a light on a camera that's on or they left the camera light on or I shouldn't see that. Like maybe that's a mistake on production. I shouldn't. And then Trey's like, Sarah, look. And I was like, yeah, they, they made a mistake. There's no way that's yeah, like, there's no way that that's like for us. He's like, no, I, I think it is. 
And so we start to like inch closer and inch closer. And then we realize like, wow, like that, that might be the outside light. And so like we just take off running towards it. And as it gets closer and closer, we realize like that's a legit exit to the, and to the outside world. And so running, 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 and then we bust through this door. I'm like, this is, that's weird. This is the door to this cave. Um, and, you know, we find ourselves in the outside air and ground. And it takes, honestly, a good five minutes for my eyes to figure out focus and to adjust. And it was really dim out. And I couldn't tell if it was just after sunrise or if it was just before sunset. And I could see all the camera crew and I turned around and I looked at Trey for the first time and I was so wrong about my assumptions of what this person looked like. And I like, just honestly started crying and I was just so happy at how wrong that I was because um, I, I wasn't thinking about it too hard because I was just really embracing the fact that we're just working together but there'd be little little cues little little moments where he would say something like oh my hair is caught in my belt and I'm like oh okay so this person must have long hair or he would talk about you know <laughs> like his back teeth missing or and so like I I don't know but just like the way that he talked and like carried himself like I pictured this you know <laughs> like six foot three Indiana Jones looking Midwesterner with like a with like an Indiana Jones hat and I don't know why I was thinking that but it's just it kind of just felt like he that's who he was and um he was absolutely not he was tall but he was very thin and he had like jet black hair and brown eyes and like metal hooped earrings and he was wearing um this green overall cave suit with a bat emblem on it kind of like batman and throwing a bandana on his head and i was just like wow how freaking cool and it just was this really interesting um i would have never pegged his personality to fit the way that he looked and i just thought that was so cool and um as soon as, you know, we had gotten out, you know, a man that drove up on a golf cart and he introduced himself to us as Brandon. He let us know that he was actually in the cave with us and he had quit after 12 hours because he said it was too cold for him. I don't know. I, I, I still to this day I want to talk to him more about that, like exactly why he quit because he was a survivalist. He owned a survival school and he taught people how to survive. I think it was a really interesting moment because... You can have the skills to keep yourself physically safe, but the darkness is something different and the, the uncertainty is even more different. And I think it takes a really mindful individual to be comfortable and alone with themselves. And even though I had heard about all these people on shows before me freaking out, quitting and all that with their impressive accolades, I think it just super comes down to the relationship that you have with yourself and this is a really powerful experience for me to realize that I have more to be confident in in myself than I would, was really giving myself credit for because I still thought of who I am as that embarrassed 20 something year old getting rescued out of the forest without much skills or ability or know-how and 
I'm just really proud of myself for how far I had come in a very short period of time. And it was around this time that my dad had let us know that he had been diagnosed with stage four cancer. I think he had, at that point had been given four months and he decided to not do chemo. He wanted to focus on quality of life for the duration of his life. It was really important to me that he could see the episode because it was his words about not being a victim, but being a force that really got me through the experience. And so I was able to contact the network and they gave me a one-time screening of it. And he was actually able to watch it before he passed. And I really wish that he could see how far I've come, even since this experience. But he gave me some of the greatest gifts of all in those seeds of understanding that nature has a power to heal and also just fucking going for it and being the light in the dark. And so this is one of the greatest experiences I've ever had <laughs> towards self-discovery and self-exploration. <laughs> I have a couple takeaways. And the first takeaway is that it completely reshaped the way that I quote unquote see and the people around me. And it totally gave me a new organ of perception. And as a photographer, this was such a valuable gift. And it made me crave moments of authenticity and candid moments, candid portraiture, way, way, way more. And just these candid ephemeral moments because I got to feel them so deeply in that darkness. And I almost look for those moments now. You know, look for the moments where people don't realize anybody's watching them and they put their shield down. And even if they do realize that you can see them and they still put their shield down, those moments are extremely powerful and I fell in love with them somehow when I couldn't even see. Number two, just really learning that the fear of uncertainty can be far greater than whatever actually lies in that space. And there's a quote that I love um, from Seneca, the Stoic philosopher, that says, any man who suffers before it's necessary suffers more than necessary. Kind of like I was already talking about just how truly important it is to not worry until you have to worry and then to just trust that you will be able to handle it either on your own or with the help of other people. But this takeaway is one that I'm honestly still learning and it's interesting how sneaky it is and how it morphs this fear of the unknown and worrying. You know, I recently held on to an expired situationship for way too long because I was afraid of the unknown and what life would be like without this person. But I look back to the, those moments in the cave and honestly, even before the cave started and, and how scared I was and how I felt coming out of the cave. And I can use my own story to sort of find the strength to swim out into unknown waters. Because if me then could do that, then me now can also. Takeaway number three, I really feel like I caught a glimpse of what most folks catch when they do psychedelics. I felt in my body truly how connected we are and how just that statement gained a whole new meaning. And if you live your life completely externally 
looking to the outside world for everything, how you are completely missing the point and how shallow of an existence that is. How everything you truly need is right inside of you. And I know a lot of people seem to already have this understanding or maybe they say it, but to truly, truly understand what that means and live it and feel it full-heartedly, fucking powerful. Takeaway number four, perception is reality, truly. There were moments where I was in the cave where I had to crawl through a space that was about the width of my body and I had to take my backpack off and push it ahead of me because I couldn't fit it in it with my backpack. The self-talk I had in that moment was, you know, if I can't see the world around me, then I can create it to be whatever I want it to be. And so I <laughs> used my mind to trick my body into believing that I was in a much larger, unconfined space. And truly believing that, even though it, it's technically foolish, um, really helps. And so I walk away from this experience just truly understanding, like, pers perspective is limited, but, you know, the universe isn't. And I have so much more respect for the mind, and I believe way more in its power, and I believe in my body and its innate intelligence. And I think that it is pivotal, imperative, important, whatever adjective you can use here, that you put yourself in situations where you can truly understand that. It's so easy in our everyday life to get caught up in, in stress and responsibility and all of these man-made things. And we can forget, you know, we live from the neck up. You know, we are so cerebral that we are completely disconnected from our body and how intelligent of a being it is. And so to find a point in your life where you can put yourself in a situation where you can truly understand that and work with it instead of against it, you know, to stop pushing back on your body, to stop treating it poorly, to stop feeding it poorly, and to realize like how incredible your life can be or how much you can improve it by treating your body the way that it deserves and begs to be treated. Takeaway number five, the only person ever, ever, ever standing in my way is only myself. So yeah, <laughs> um, I learned a lifetime of lessons in that seemingly never ending week. And that's honestly exactly why I chase these experiences. Had I not engaged in that experience, I couldn't tell you what I had, would have done in that week, April of 2017. But I think that some people can spend years of their life doing the same things over and over and over again and never really learn anything new. And life becomes somewhat stagnant and the days fly by because that's just the way that our efficient brain works. You know, when you do the same thing over and over again, those pathways are developed and your brain wants to be efficient. And so things just move quickly and you blink and years have flown by. And so I'm not saying everybody should go spend a week fasting in a dark cave or anything like that. 
I did it so I can tell you about it. You don't have to do that. But what I am saying is that it, it is so, so, so important to leave room in your days for awe. I am saying to step away from the things that numb you in favor of the things that make you feel alive, especially if those are the things that scare you. To be honest, it's stressful to do it all the time, so you don't have to do it all the time, but uh, just sometime, and it doesn't have to be big. You can start small. Just say yes, you know? On the plane ride home from this cave story, I opened up my journal and I started writing 81 pages and I only stopped to shake out my hand. One of the things that I wrote knowing that this was a very important experience for me was, I wonder how many opportunities I have missed because I was not open. How many things I've said no to without thinking twice. How many times have I traced over the same lines solidifying my story of self-doubt and insecurity? I was polishing my bubble with mediocrity instead of something greater. My work, at least right now, is all about saying yes. So again, this is an extreme example, um, but I want you to think about opening yourself up and saying yes to the next opportunity that is unique that comes your way. Again, it doesn't have to be anything big or crazy, but just... Be open and be curious and whatever that is, I hope that it somehow leads to something that challenges you, invigorates you, and gives you the gift of a new perspective. If you've made it this far, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I am planning on doing a couple more and they all will tie into each other and so if you've made it this far, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. This is just the beginning, and I have so many more experiences to share that really all tie into each other, and this was somehow the beginning. Coming up, definitely share about the time that I spent 160-odd days walking across the country of New Zealand, and I'll definitely tell you about the time that I got pulmonary edema on the tallest mountain in North America. There's a lot to share and a lot that I've learned. If you want to follow along on my adventures on more of a regular basis, you can follow me on Instagram at Sarah Sky and Sarah with an H. Adios. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, Please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our Single on Purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life. You will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, zoom links to private gathers so if you want to join our community go to singleonpurpose.life thank you for listening be well we hope you tell a friend my long-term relationship ended in 2019 
um, to my husband who I had been married for four years um, and together nine, maybe eight. So we had been together for a decade and a bit, um, a long time. And so I've been not married for about three and a half years and it's been the most um, life-altering, intense time of my life. And I often get asked the question, do you ever regret not or ending the relationship? And I don't know the answer um, really to that question. I think adamantly I would have said, no, never I regret. Um, but I have moments where You know, did I work hard enough? Could I have been a better wife? Maybe I could have articulated myself more and maybe, you know, we would have landed more on the same page. But when I feel regret, I often will question, um, you know, my life path. Now, though... I do believe it ended um, and now my path is different and I do believe no matter what path you choose in life, the universe um, will set us back onto another path that is um, meant for us. So. There will always be what ifs, but I do know that where I am today, um, which is not in a relationship, well, um, I guess seeing um, where a relationship could go with someone, um, and I've had a couple other one-year relationships uh, since, um, and each one has taught me more of who I am. Both the good and the uncomfortable parts of myself. So I'm happy, um, or I'm trying to be happy in each stage of the journey. And each stage teaches you something if you allow yourself to see it. I think relationship is one of the hardest things to navigate, especially when we want to do it in a, in a healthy, conscious way. And so now I... I'm focusing on being the most authentic, real self 
and connecting all of the parts of myself and my brain and my body and my soul. Um, I want to connect them. And I feel doing that work will only bring um, a relationship that is in line with my true self. As long as I'm on the path at being truly connected and aware and curious about myself. And so no matter what my relationships look like in the future, I know that I have those things that I will always be pushing for, which is the deep connection with my soul. And so if I find comfort knowing that no matter what happens, that is always the end goal. Um, but I do know that being in relationship is something that fulfills me. So I don't believe that I will want to be single um, forever. I do know I want a partner for life. I do have the desire to have a commitment with another human and do life with them and to grow old with them, whatever that looks like. I do have that desire and I never thought that after my separation that I would want that ever again, but I actually do. Um, but in the meantime, I'm just making sure that I'm my priority and hopefully one day find a person that we match each other and we push each other and make each other laugh and help ourselves both be the best version of ourselves.